Have you ever longed to don the armor of a samurai and charge headlong into glorious battle? Well, I can't help you with that. However, I can offer you a themed t-shirt that will probably serve as a conversation starter with every third person or so. Check out the merch store at ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com for exclusive shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, phone cases, and full-length battle-ready katanas. Just kidding about that last one. Again, I can't help you there. Visit ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com today. Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 3, Episode 3, The Korean States When we last left the Korean Peninsula, the kingdoms of Baekje, Silla, and Koguryo had just begun centralizing their power along with the Gaia Confederacy in the far south near Kyushu. China still had a foothold on the northern region of Korea through the establishment of the Lelong and later Daifong commanderies, both of which were already losing territory to the Koguryo by the mid-200s CE. When the Han Dynasty collapsed, there was a lot of confusion in the frontier commanderies regarding who was legitimately in charge. Some of the governors of these regions decided to flex their muscles a bit to see if they might earn themselves a promotion. If this were a video game or a film, you might expect the Koguryo to likewise take advantage and try to conquer some of these nearby territories in the wake of their rival's political collapse. However, the Han Dynasty had ruled for over 400 years, the 14 years of Wang Mang's power grab notwithstanding, and as far as their neighbors knew, this civil strife and division might be resolved at any moment. I imagine it was hard for the people of the Korean Peninsula, and Japan as well, to imagine a world without a unified Chinese dynasty ruling the whole of the nation in relative stability. When the Gongsun family, who served as hereditary governors of the Liaodong commandery, rebelled against the Chao Wei state in 220 CE, annexing the Leilong and Xuantu commanderies as well, the Koguryo saw an opportunity to attack a longtime rival without incurring the wrath of China. When the Wei state was finally able to address the issue in 238, the Wei general Sima Yi led a massive army in an invasion of Liaodong. The Koguryo fought eagerly by their side, and ultimately the rebellious army of the commandery was defeated. The Wei state re-established governors in the Liaodong, Leilong, and Daifeng commanderies. For reasons which are not entirely clear, in 242 CE, the Koguryo kingdom carried out a raid into Wei territory and ignited the Koguryo-Wei War, fought from 244 to 245. Unfortunately for the Koguryo, the Wei state's military was exceedingly competent and won most of the battles fought between them. The Koguryo king and his family fled to avoid capture and the Wei army embarked on a massive depopulation and resettlement campaign, forcibly displacing thousands of the Koguryo subjects and driving them into the Wei state's interior. In short, the results of the war were worst-case scenario bad for the kingdom of Koguryo, a catastrophe that would set them back generations. Meanwhile, to the south of the commanderies, on the western side of the southern peninsula, 
Baekje was finally consolidating its power over the Mahan tribes and beginning to take on the aspects of a settled agrarian kingdom. Silla, directly to Baekje's east, was likewise beginning to coalesce into a sedentary kingdom, and in the mid-200s were regularly raiding Baekje and being raided by them in turn. The Gaia Confederacy to the south was growing increasingly militaristic, no doubt in response to being surrounded on at least two sides by expansion-minded kingdoms. While the southern states were centralizing power and cutting their teeth in battles with one another, Koguryo had to deal with an expansion-minded way state. Having re-established firm control over the northern commanderies, the Wei sent another armed expedition into Koguryo land in 259 CE. But this time, fortune favored the locals and the Koguryo army, which consisted primarily of noble cavalry outfitted in iron and bronze armor, crushed the invaders and made the Wei state think twice about expanding their northeastern frontier again. In the early 300s, Koguryo's fortunes would rise quickly. They rebuilt their capital and seemed to have recovered their numbers militarily as they began raiding the Chinese commanderies once more. This coincides with the Jin Dynasty's rebellion of eight princes we discussed in the previous episode, a period of chaotic infighting and military vulnerability in northern China. No reinforcements were sent to protect those distant commanderies on the northeastern periphery this time, and the Koguryo successfully annexed all of China's territorial commanderies in North Korea, including Leilong. The collapse of the Jin dynasty in the north presented a tremendous opportunity for the kingdom of Koguryo, and they were happy to take advantage of it. However, the northern Chinese did not only suffer from political strife, but were invaded by eastern nomadic steppe peoples, who subjugated them as they formed their own kingdoms from their freshly conquered land. The Shanbei conquered much of the northeast, and when they were satisfied that their holdings in China were secure, they cast their eyes toward the Koguryo lands. Once again, the northern peninsula was invaded by a hostile power, and once more its military proved unable to defend its cities. In 342, the Shanbei besieged and sacked the capital city of Huando, forcing its more than 50,000 residents into slavery, including the queen herself. In 346, the Shanbei likewise raided Buyeo in Manchuria and razed its cities, which caused a mass migration of Buyeo people fleeing into Koguryo territory. These do not appear to be attempts at annexation by the Shanbei, but were more likely motivated by a desire to intimidate the new neighbors and thus secure their own holdings through fear. The Koguryo would have to rebuild once more, and King Goguguan was eager to recover his lost reputation through great military victories. In 369 CE, he marshaled an army of 20,000 Koguryo warriors and pressed south into Baekje. Crown Prince Gengusu of Baekje raised his own army and met the Koguryo forces at the Battle of Chiyang. The only information I could find about that battle indicated that the Baekje soldiers executed a well-timed ambush and ended up capturing 5,000 Koguryo warriors, killing probably thousands more. While I was unable to ascertain the Baekje's military strength, Sources claim that at a later battle, they had 30,000 soldiers at their disposal, 
so it does seem possible that they outnumbered their invaders. Of course, it is hard to know how far to trust any of these numbers. Defeated and humiliated, King Goguguan fled to Pyongyang Castle. In 371, Prince Gangusu led the Baekje army to Pyongyang to besiege it, and King Goguguan was killed in the ensuing battle. Thus, Baekje began to expand northward and gain control of much of the western half of the Korean peninsula. Their proximity to the rapidly organizing states in northern China and ocean access to the lands of the eastern Jin dynasty meant that Baekje began to flourish as a trade power in the late 300s. Silla, meanwhile, had its own dramatic beginning to the 4th century. The Samguk Sagi, a Korean chronicle completed in 1145 but generally considered fairly reliable, indicates that an alliance between Silla and Japan was forged in 313 through royal marriage. We don't know whether this alliance was with the Yamato court or with some of the regional powers of Kyushu or Chugoku. Whichever faction of Wa was involved in the alliance, in the mid-300s the chronicle claims that the treaty was broken and that armies from Japan would show up periodically in the late 300s to besiege Silla's capital, Gyonju. Combined with concurrent Baekje expansion, the kingdom of Silla likely felt endangered by its hostile neighbors. Thus, they formed an alliance with Koguryo in 391. In spite of their mutual hostility, Koguryo and Baekje maintained a trade relationship and, because of this, the flow of goods and ideas from China continued to influence the peninsula and, by extension of Baekje's maritime trade, Japan. One idea in particular that began to spread throughout the East was the use of Chinese script. As far as we can tell, Japan's very first writing system was borrowed whole cloth from China. Because a writing system is only useful if you have something to read, the Confucian classics and other famous books began to trickle through the aristocratic households of the peninsula and eventually made their way to their counterparts on the Japanese archipelago. Koguryo's setbacks during the reign of King Goguguan were so disastrous that it threatened their kingdom's very existence. However, when his son, King Sosurim, ascended the throne, he rapidly began reforming the rustic semi-confederate kingdom into a unified state. As the state of former Qin began adopting Chinese practices and customs to blend with their subjects, so Sosurim promoted some of the same practices and customs in the name of building a more cohesive and less tribal kingdom. Buddhism appears to have already been present and popular in Koguryo, so he declared it the official religion of the kingdom. Likewise, he adopted aspects of Confucianism, specifically mandating that the children of the Koguryo elite be educated. Taoism was likewise welcomed, and a bit of legalism as he codified laws and punishments. Wanting very much to avenge his father, King Sosurim led several assaults into Baekje throughout the 370s, but near the end of that decade his own territory was threatened by raids from the Khitan people who lived north of Koguryo. He died in 384, unsuccessful in his quest for revenge, but having successfully centralized power in his kingdom, something which would greatly benefit his successors. Baekje had likewise begun its own social transformation, 
and in 384 they also adopted Buddhism as their official state religion. While Silla would eventually follow suit, they seem to have been preoccupied with fending off Japanese raiders, Baekje invaders, and keeping a close watch on their ally Koguryo, whom they didn't really trust. Silla did send tribute to the Eastern Jin Dynasty in 381, possibly hoping that the official rulers of China would send soldiers in return. But, as we discussed in the last episode, the Jin were far too occupied with their own troubles to be bothered with granting faraway vassals material support. The Koguryo looked westward for expansion, seizing the Liaodong Peninsula and subjugating its residents as they drove out the Shan Bay. In 391, however, a new king of the Koguryo was crowned, one King Guangaito the Great, who would lead his people into a golden age. In 392, he marshaled a massive army of 40,000 troops, according to the sources, and marched into Baekje, crushing defending armies and annexing a large portion of Baekje's northern territories. The king of Baekje attempted several times to reconquer the lost territory, but found no success. As the 400s began, the situation was basically this. Koguryo was the emerging superpower in the north, and now occupied bits of southern Manchuria, the Liaodong Peninsula, and most of the Korean Peninsula as well. Nestled snug in the south were Baekje, desperate to recover their losses, the Gaia Confederacy, who wished to maintain their political independence, and Silla, who chafed under the suzerainty of Koguryo. Next time, we'll move into the 400s and more closely examine Japan's role in this regional conflict. Until then, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at A History of Japan, visit the online store ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com, and find us on the web, ahistoryofjapan.com. Thank you.